This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover the Bible. This is book one of 52 for my 2020 reading list. Look, I, I know it's absurd to cover the entire Bible in one short podcast episode. There are people who spend their entire lives studying this book. There are podcasts dedicated to this book. There are books and books and books written just about chapters or sections or, or even pages or verses of, of this book. But here's what I hope to accomplish in this episode. I want to describe the experience of reading it straight through. I'd like to talk about some of the themes that stuck out to me and then discuss my one key takeaway from this 1,816-page book. So this episode's going to consist of three segments. The first part will be a brief introduction to the Bible, my approach to reading it, the version I used, how long it took me to read it, and my initial reaction. The second segment will cover 10 ideas or themes that stuck out to me as I was reading this book. The, uh, also, I'm going to cover some of the main comments and questions that I received on social media while I was reading it. And then the final segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway from this entire book. So on to segment one, the Bible. There is a local bookseller here in Nashville in uh, a part of the city called Franklin, Tennessee. Landmark booksellers, and the, the owner is Joel, and he has a sign outside of his store, and it's outside his store every single day. He, he puts it out there, and it says, New, Old, Rare, and Dangerous Books. And so people come in and they say, Dangerous books, huh? Well, what's the most dangerous one that you have? And Joel responds, The Bible, because it just might change your life. The Bible is the best selling book of all time. It has sold an estimated 5 billion copies. And it still sells 100 million annually. It's also a banned book. Uh, it's been banned throughout history. I feel fortunate to be able to read it. I uh, look back even in the, the 1900s, in any country that was communist, uh, the Bible would have been banned. And there are still plenty of countries today that, uh, that ban the book or highly discourage it. It, the Bible itself is a collection of a variety of different types of, of texts, of, of sacred texts that include histori historical fiction, songs, parables, teaching letters, and even a book of erotica. Uh, estimates are that the first books were compiled around 1400 BC uh, or BCE and all the way up to 80 AD. So that is very rough, rough estimates and a lot of uh, conversation around that. So Please don't take those as, as absolutes there, but um, but roughly over 1,500 years, the 66 books of the Bible were were compiled. Uh, 66 books of the in the version that that I used. I'll get into that a little more in just a little bit. Jordan Peterson has called this the first hyperlinked text, and I I like that description because it it helps us understand it uh, where we're used to the websites linking back and forth. Uh, but within the Bible itself, there are 63,779 cross-references. So just think about that for a, for a moment. You're, you're looking at a book, uh, compiled 66 different books, compiled over roughly 1,500 years, and then put together after, after they were all written. And within those 66 books are 63,779 cross-references. Time magazine in March of 2007 said, The Bible has done more to shape literature, history, entertainment, and culture than any book ever written. Its influence on world history is unparalleled and shows no sign of abating. End quote. To that, I would add, I mean, you, you really can't even go into any museum nowadays without seeing a painting on a, on a biblical topic or a story. Uh, books, a, a number of the books I've read for this project, they constantly reference parts of the Bible, stories, verses, uh, and I hear references all the time in, in songs, uh, movies, uh, conversations. You, you'll hear you'll hear someone say a line and, and maybe not even realize that that it came from the Bible, uh, but you you hear it all the time. The references are are constant. I, I want to get into my approach in in reading the Bible this time. I read it straight through. 
I started on page one, I started in Genesis and read it all the way through to the end of Revelation. I did not read any other books during that time. This was the first time in my life I have ever read the book from the front to the end. I've read the Bible at different points in my life, but usually it's been with some sort of a, a plan. Uh, I remember some of my earliest memories are my, my mother reading Bible stories to me as a kid from like a, 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 a child Bible type type thing, a uh, Bible for kids. Um, and then just throughout my life, I, w- I would read with these different plans where if you roughly read five chapters a day, uh, you, you'll get through the whole Bible. So what oftentimes happens with these plans is that they skip around. And so you read five uh, five chapters, and they may be from five different books. And then the next day, you're you're reading another part, and you're just skipping around a lot. And so that any time in my life where I've read the Bible, it's been it's been that. So this was different in that it was straight through, and I wasn't reading anything else in addition to the Bible. It was only the Bible for for start to finish another idea in 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 the approach was i i only wanted to reference the bible so for instance if i had a question uh, which i had numerous questions while reading reading the bible i would write that question in the margin and for for other books if i have a question sometimes i'll just open up uh, my computer and, and search for search for the answer and then go back to reading the book. But I made a deliberate choice not to do that while reading the Bible this time. I would write the question in the margin and then just leave it there. And I uh, part of it is I wanted to see if the question would be answered later on. I remember this is this this hyperlinked text idea of of these cross references. So you you see an idea in one place and it's going to show up another place. So maybe in that other place there is more description or there's an, uh, a contrast or some other way of, of talking about it to where it helps answer that question. Uh, so that was another big part of it, of, of only referencing the Bible. Uh, another side of the approach uh, is I tried to read and just not call into mind what I already knew. And I know that is an impossible task but I have grown up in church. I've, I've read the Bible before. I've heard countless people tell me what's in the Bible and what even what stories mean or what verses mean. But as much as I could, I just tried to not recall those things. And I just tried to read what was in front of me and to ask questions and not to be scared of, of, of the questions and to, to write them down. Uh, writing, that was another part of my approach. Uh, I, I think in the past, I may have just, I, this was more with books in general. I wouldn't write in the books. They're almost like holy to me in a way of like, I, I don't want to, to mark up this book. Uh, and, and what if I give it to somebody? I don't want them, I want them to just experience the book and not see my, my notes or what I thought. Um, so I, I would never really write in books and, and especially not in Bibles, but this one, this time I got a new Bible and I marked it up. I mean, I, there, it is just full of notes. Uh, some pages, the, the entire margin is covered with notes or questions. And so that, that was another part of my approach that was, was unique. Final thing I'll say is, is I read very carefully and slowly. Uh, I track my reading time. I'll get into that in a minute. But some pages of the Bible would take five or six minutes for me to get through, some even longer. Some would be faster, where it's it's like the Psalms, where it's kind of songs and poetry. Uh, and, and so some of those would go would go faster. But some pages, I, I spent I spent a lot of time on each page. And when you have an 1,800-page book in front of you, that, that can add up. But I wanted I wanted to to dwell in it. I wanted to take my time and not just try to quickly rush through it it so I could get on to other other books. So that that's really uh the the big part of of my approach. There there are a few things that I I did consult when reading it and one was the maps and the the maps are actually in there there are some maps in the back of the of most of the bibles that that you'll get. But I also used an app and I'll I'll link to that in the show notes, but it it is an app where you pull up 
the particular chapter of the Bible that you're reading, and then any place name is, is hey, hi- hyperlinked. And you click that link, and then it pulls up like a Google map and shows you where it is. So, uh, and, then, and then you can click on that and get more information about that particular city, because a lot of them no longer exist. But it gives you an idea of where everything was taking place, and it, that was super helpful. And I, it, I, I'm going to link to that app because it, it was it was fantastic. The other thing I, I was referencing was a list of the kings. So when we get into Second Kings, First Kings, Samuel, uh, all that, uh, we're we're getting into um, or Chronicles. Uh, we're, we're getting into a list of kings and if they were good or bad, if they were kings of Israel or Judah, uh, the time frame of the kings, all that. It helped to have that chart in front of me just to see and put into context. So those were a few things I consulted, but everything else I just tried to reference from within the Bible itself. The version I used is is the Christian Standard Bible. It's called the CSB Reader's Bible. It's a gray cloth overboard. Um, And here are some of the the unique things about this. Uh, One is it was put out in 2017, so it's relatively new. I wanted a version that was a different translation than what I'd read, that I'd ever read in the past, because I wanted things to pop a little more. I didn't want to just read something and and have it be so familiar that that I I just kind of would, would fly through it. So I got a new version that I had not read before. And then this particular version, I chose this one specifically because it does not show any verses. If you pick up most any Bible, uh, there's going to be a number in front of almost every sentence or every few sentences. And and those, it's broken down into verses. But that was done uh, recently, from what I understand. And and just the, how somebody would have come across the, this text before, it it would have just been more of a story. It would have been looking like more of a book, any other book we pick up where, yeah, there's chapters, but then uh, it's it's not all these verses constantly. And verses are great if you're studying the Bible and, and you need to, to be able to go back and forth quickly. But I wanted to read this more as a story and to, to read the, the text and not have all these numbers in there. So even the start of each chapter, it'll, it'll just be a big letter starting it off. But it's, it doesn't say like, oh, you're in Job 4 right now. Uh, it'll say that at the bottom uh, so you can look and see. But that that was very helpful in in just the ability to to read it more like a story. So again, that's that's one reason I chose this book. The version I chose is it was sixty six books, so it does not contain the apocrypha. That is that is one question I got a lot if I, I was going to read the the Bible with the apocrypha, and I did not. So uh, the version I had was uh, sixty six books. The first thirty nine books are the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. I'm just going to call it the Old Testament because that's what um, it's referred to in this version. So 39 books of the Old Testament and then 27 books of the New Testament. The Old Testament comprises 80% of the Bible. I mean, you just look at it and then you uh, once you get to the New Testament, you pretty much, you're, you're on the home stretch. Uh, and, and so that, that was, it was interesting to see that and just to see how much of the Bible itself is, is the Old Testament and, and 80%. One other really cool thing about this version of the Bible was that in the New Testament, the, the, the verses that are referencing the Old Testament are bolded. So sometimes you may pick up a Bible and um, the words of Jesus are in red and, and uh, this, this version does not have that. But what it does have is that anything referencing the Old Testament. So again, back to that hyperlink idea, anything referencing the Old Testament is bolded, but it it doesn't give you the, it doesn't give you where that's coming from. So I loved that too, because then it's like, oh yeah, where did I see that before? And then I knew some of these verses were going to be in the New Testament just from, from other times I've, I've read, read the Bible uh, with those plans, like in the past. And so I I would make notes and like, I I know I'm going to see this again soon, but it was so cool just to have that those bolded to to know that okay this is from the Old Testament. Uh, I need to go back and, and check the context here and 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 see what what's going on there. My only complaint about this version is that there were not more uh, there were 
not enough blank pages in the end. I like I like writing notes and questions and things at the very back of the book. So there are three blank pages and then you get into the maps. I would have preferred a few more, but that's really my only complaint with this version. Uh, so if you're if you're looking for a version to to read, you may want to check this one out. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, but but I, I enjoyed it very much and um, it did have that aspect more of of reading like a story as opposed to reading like a uh, textbook or or something like that. If you're unfamiliar with the Books of Titans project, I uh, started this originally after reading Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And in that book, he he highlights uh, a number of different top performers throughout the world. And he asks them what their favorite book is and what their most gifted book is. Like, what book did you gift to, to someone else? And so I, I like in these podcast episodes to, to share where I first heard about uh, the books that I read or or who suggested them. And the Bible is obvious in, in this case, you know, I've, I've heard about it my whole whole life. But I did want to mention a few people who on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast have suggested that uh, people read the Bible. Stephen Dubner, Ricardo Semler, Ryan Flattery, Sam Harris, A.J. Jacobs, and Katerina Fake. I read the Bible from January 1st through February 29th of 2020. So thankful for that uh, leap year day, that extra day. I got got through it within two months as opposed to uh, three. Uh, but it's an 1816-page book. It is the longest book I've ever read in my life. It took me 104 hours, 25 minutes, and 20 seconds. I know that is super dorky to track that, but more more than anything, I'm super curious as to how long it takes me to read books. Uh, Don Quixote last year took me 40 hours, and so this one, this one took me 100, 104 hours. So, I I also broke it down by book. So if you go to the website and go to the the Books of Titans website and in the page covering the Bible, which I'll link to in the show notes, I, I break it down per book. So Genesis took six hours something, uh, and and you can see how long uh, it, it might take you to read it. I, it's probably extra time in my case, just because I, I took it so slowly. So you, you'd probably be able to get through it, through it faster if, if you're just, you know, quickly reading through it type thing. Uh, another, another piece, piece of that is, um, I've, I've heard that, uh, if you just get the audio audio version of the Bible, it's around 70 hours. So that gives a little more context as well. So if you're just to, to listen to the Bible, it, it would be 70 hours. Uh, but it took me an additional 34 hours uh, and, and a lot of that time thinking, taking notes, underlining, uh, that sort of thing. That was over. So January 1st through February 29th is 60 days. Uh, at the beginning, I estimated that it would take between 45 and 60 days. So it was on the, the longer side of that. I averaged three minutes and 27 seconds per page. As I mentioned before, some of those pages were probably close to 10 minutes of just deep study, you know, looking throughout the Bible to, to see different references, that sort of thing. Um, but average time throughout the, those 1816 pages was three minutes and 27 seconds. I, I, I like to put this into perspective as well. The average American watches four and a half hours of TV a day. So if you divide 104 hours by 4.5, that is 23 days. If you got rid of, uh, of, of watching, if you're an average American and watching four and a half hours of TV a day. If you just stopped doing that for 23 days and read the Bible instead, you'd get through it in 23 days. Another stat I recently saw is that people spend 11 hours a day on screens. I don't know if that includes like work too, or if it's just people, you know, social media, videos, email, that kind of thing, but 11 hours per day. So if you divide 104 hours by 11, that is nine and a half days. You could get through the entire Bible in nine and a half days if you didn't do the screen time, but you just did did the Bible. And that reminds me of a story a, a friend of mine told me who, he had, he had a buddy who, uh, he decided every time he was going to pick up his phone, he was just going to have the Bible. So there's a Bible app and any anytime he picked up his phone, instead of going to social media or something, he would just open that Bible app and, and, and just read and just, you know, just kind of went straight through the Bible like I did, but, but did it on his phone. And if I recall correctly, he got through it in, in like two weeks. So if you, if you do that, uh, if, if you're, if you want to read it there, there are ways to do it. Uh, there, you probably have to make some sacrifices, but there is a lot of power in reading it in a short amount of time and reading it straight through. I'll get into more of that later in this episode, but, um, but just to, to put it in, into some context there as well. As for my initial reaction, 
Um, it, it was a unique experience to read it straight through. As I said, I've read it different ways. I've heard about it my whole life. I've uh, gone to church my whole life. So I've, I've, I've heard about the Bible. I've heard the Bible read. I've, I've read the Bible. Uh, I've talked about the Bible a lot, but have never read it straight through. And so it was a completely different experience. I saw overall themes, but then there'd be a unique experience for each book as well. Uh, in segment two, I'll really be covering a lot of those those themes that stuck out to me. But I, I, I loved that of just the overall themes and seeing things repeated and and seeing ideas cover, you know, f- go throughout those 1800 pages, but then also have these unique experiences within each book itself. Uh, it just opened up so much more of the Bible. And then just the approach of, of really digging deep. And, and, and also like when people's names were mentioned, like really making a point to remember them because I knew they were going to come up again. And, and I, I needed to remember where I first heard that person about that person, what they did. Whereas that approach of, of skipping around and reading, I, I didn't have as much incentive to remember people because it's like, well, I'm going to read about this person and then probably not read about them again for another few months. Uh, so that was, that was one part of the initial reaction as well. As for who should read the Bible, well, if, if you're a Christian, you should read it. It's, uh, it's sort of uh, important and foundational, uh, but not just read it, but, but try reading it like that straight through. If you're a member of culture, which uh, everyone is, uh, you should read it. It will make a lot of cultural references make sense. And then if you just want to read something that's completely counter-cultural, this is a good start. I'll get into some of those those ideas in the next segment. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a foundational book for, for the culture. And it's something that uh, just even as I was posting a social media, uh, it, it, it seems like a lot of people have not ever read it straight through. Now on to segment two. And these are the 10 things that stuck out to me. I call them things because it's kind of a mix of themes and ideas and things perhaps I just never caught before in, in reading through the Bible when I, when I read it in that uh, just kind of jumping around over a, over a whole year type thing or just focusing on one book. But in reading it straight through, these are 10 things that, that really stuck out to me. The first is the pure amount of repetition in the Bible. The Ten Commandments are not just put in there once. They're, they're, they show up quite quite a bit. And, and in the Old Testament, and they're within different books, so maybe the books were to different audiences. And, and so when you just read it straight through, you're seeing, you're seeing it uh, given to the, to the different audiences. But I think the bigger, bigger idea here is that uh, people need reminding. Like, they forget quite quickly. And, and you, you see that in, in the different histories uh, written that... Uh, that things are, are forget, forgotten quickly, like within one generation. Uh, but but this repetition, it, it, it struck me. I, I guess when I'm jumping around in the Bible, it, I, it never occurred to me that the, the Ten Commandments were there multiple times. Uh, but then you get to the Gospels and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very similar to one, to one another. Uh, I read somewhere that, that 93% of Mark is found within Matthew and, and Luke. And so, uh, again, repetition, and, and maybe to different audiences, but, but uh, a, a number of times where things are repeated, and it's, it's almost as if we, we need to, to hear it over and over again. Uh, and, and I guess it stuck out to me because I know other books repeat themes and repeat uh, ideas, but this was like over-the-top repetition, and it struck me that it would be weird in any other book if you just kept repeating some of the things that were, that were repeated, like, why not just have it once? They're the 10 commandments, like just have it once. Why do you, why are, why are we seeing it multiple times? But, uh, you know, one, one thing that stuck out to me there, the, the repetition. Second thing, the afterlife, not really mentioned in the old Testament and kind of confusing in the, in the new Testament. So I, I came into reading thinking that uh, there's a heaven and a hell, and but in the Old Testament there's there's a mention of Sh- of Sheol, there's a mention of heaven in the sense that God created the heavens. Uh, Elijah goes up to heaven, but not 
really this idea of somebody going to heaven after this life. The, the focus is really on the here and now. Um, the, the other thing that's startling to me is that uh, the way most churches nowadays teach people to share about Jesus with others is to ask, do you know where, where, where you are going when you die? And that, that's kind of the way that, that you're taught to start off a conversation. But in, in, in my reading of it straight through, it's, I was a little more confused. And, and that's, that's one thing of, of this reading. I, I might start reading the Bible every year or every other year. Like, I just have so many questions and I want to go through those questions and maybe, uh, I take time every morning type thing just to, just to go through one question that I had in, uh, during this reading. Um, so I, I know, um, I know I'm going to have to spend more time on, on this idea, but this is one thing that stuck out to me. There's not this emphasis on the afterlife that, that I find in churches now and just even how people talk, which leads into the third thing that stuck out to me. And I just mentioned the focus is on the here and the now. Even in the New Testament, it says eternal life is that they may know you, and that you is referencing God, and then and and Jesus Christ. In the prophets, the concern is about the poor and the oppressed. Uh, it's the prophets don't laud a, a, a country or or give praise to a country for their economic abilities or the things that they built. It's how are you taking care of the widow and the orphan? The law is concerned about the poor and the oppressed. And so there's not this idea of this pie in the sky and just hang on until you die and then you'll go to heaven. But it's the, the, the idea I kept getting was, no, it's, it's more about the brass tacks of get in the fray and get involved here. It, what are you doing for the poor and oppressed right now, right here? Like not, not, 70 years from now when you die and, and, and uh, the, think about the afterlife, but what about right now? And it got to the point where I, I kept writing this line in the margins in the Bible, and it's a line from the movie Gladiator. And it's at the beginning of the movie, and uh, Russell Crowe's character, he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And that's more of the, that captures more the idea that I kept seeing reading through the Bible of what we're doing right now, that, that is more of, of eternity. And yes, there, 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 there may be these, these places that we go, but it, it starts now. It's, it's like the things that we're doing now, that, that is eternity that ties into eternity. Um, fourth idea, I thing that, that stuck out to me, the faithful love of the Lord this, this phrase would just be repeated over and over and over. And it just stuck out to me. The, the faithful love of the Lord, uh, oftentimes that would close with endures forever. So the faithful love of the, of the Lord endures forever. Not much more to, to say about that other than it just kept showing up and up, uh, over and over again. Uh, number five, all have sinned. I, I always hear this quoted from Romans, but it's all over the place. And, and, you know, when, when you read it in Romans, it's, it's, it's referring to, uh, to the Old Testament, but it's not just one place in the Old Testament. It's just over and over. Um, but then you come across people like Job and he's described as righteous. And so <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of these kind of things where it's, how, how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, connect these two things of, of all of sin, but then you've got Job, um, and and that but and then just seeing that all have sinned idea over and over again. Number six, uh, this this was startling to me. Once I got to the New Testament, uh, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Uh, the demon possessed call him the Son of God. So Jesus doesn't call himself the Son of God. He calls himself the Son of Man. The demon possessed those those who are are come up to Jesus and, and there's a demon inside of them and, and Jesus will will oftentimes uh, get the get the demon out of the out of the person but the demons inside these people call him the Son of God. Uh, anyone who needs healing calls him the Son of David. And then the wise men and and Pilate they call him the King of the Jews. 
And Caiaphas, at Jesus's trial, asks if he's the Messiah. So it was just very interesting to me to see how uh, most of the time the demon-possessed called him one thing. Those who needed healing called him another thing. Jesus called himself another thing. And it, it was just interesting to see that. But then the Son of Man refers back to a verse in the Old Testament in Daniel 7. And so you could read Son of Man one way or you could connect it to the Old Testament in Daniel 7 and it takes on a whole different meaning. So very interesting just to to, to pick that up. I, I just didn't pick that up before. Uh, number seven, in the Gospel of John, the uh, it struck me how different John is compared to the first three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you almost... I, I almost got the idea that that Jesus is almost coming across as cautious. He's calling himself the Son of Man. He's not he's not calling himself the Son of God or or the Messiah, but he's saying I'm the Son of Man. But then in John, it's it's like Jesus comes out guns blazing, and there's a reason for that. I, I may um I may do a, a second episode on the Bible here where where I ask questions of the, of the Bible and, and have Jason come on the, ep- the episode and, and answer some of those questions. And, and so there is a reason for the difference in, in the way the gospels are, are written, but just reading them all together like that, it was just, it was interesting because the first three are, are one way. And then John's like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, what, what just happened? So that, that was a uh, kind of a neat thing to see, I guess. Uh, number eight, uh, focus on sexual immorality. It is a big deal in the Bible. I mean, there is a book of the Bible about erotic love, but sexual immorality comes up all the time, as in, don't do it, and in just all sorts of different contexts. And so that was really interesting to me, and, and it stuck out to me just because it is all over the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, a big deal. And it reminds me of, of, of a story from when I was a kid. I was in the car with my dad. And I was, I was very young and I was telling him about this place that I, I said, we got, we got to go to this place, dad. It's so erotic. And he, he looked over and he goes, what'd you just say? I said, dad, this place is erotic. We, we got to go. It's got palm trees, like lush, lush gardens and stuff. We, we got to go. He goes, I, th- I think you mean exotic. So there is a difference between erotic and exotic there. Number nine, love your neighbor stuck out to me. Again, all over the place in the Bible. It's something that the law focuses on. It's something that Jesus, is, Jesus focuses on. Um, I, I love that, you know, there, in the Old Testament, there's a law and it gets into so many different things like mildew and uh, garments of different types of, of uh, like mixes of, of uh, fabrics and stuff. And you're like, what, what is going on? But then a guy asks... Jesus, he said, what's, what's the most important in law? And Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, that's another, it's a quote from, from the Old Testament, but love your neighbor, it shows up all the time. And what's neat is it's contrasted against favoritism. So favoritism is, is, is the opposite of loving your neighbor. Uh, loving your neighbor just, uh, well, favoritism, like you, 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 you're choosing the people to love, but loving your neighbor, it's, it's those around you. Um, and so much, uh, just expanding on that a little bit, one thing that uh, stuck out to me along with this love your neighbor idea is just so much of the Bible is focused on you stopping focusing on yourself. So love your neighbor as yourself. There, there is the as yourself part is just a given. Like, there's, there's nothing to say. Hey, this is how you love yourself. Uh, that comes naturally to us. We don't, we don't need, need help with that. The part we need help with is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving your neighbor means loving the poor and the the oppressed. And as I mentioned earlier, the prophets were so concerned with that. They don't care about the economic abilities of a, of a country or how much they've conquered, they care about how the powerful take care of the poor and the oppressed. And it goes back to that, that idea of love your neighbor. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that, uh, 
that a, a, a huge group needs to take care, like a government is not necessarily responsible. It's, it's the brass tacks. It's you love your neighbor, love the poor and oppressed in your midst. And the final thing that stuck out to me is just how tied together the, the Bible is. Uh, I'm going to get into one example in segment three, but one, one, one thing is, uh, an, or another one that, that really stuck out is, is with it being tied together is you read the whole Old, Old Testament. It's 80% of the Bible. You've spent hours and hours in this thing, and you're reading about all these different people. And then you open up the New Testament, and the very first thing you see is Matthew. And he gives a genealogy of Jesus. So all the people, all the, of the forefathers of Jesus. And you start recognizing a lot of those names. It's everybody, not everybody, but it's a lot of the people you've just been reading about. One example is, there's this book, Ruth. And it comes between like all these huge books of the, of the Old Testament. Like you've got Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And then you go into Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, uh, other huge books. And Ruth is this six-page book about a family and in, in, in some extended family. And you're kind of thinking, what the heck is this? Like the, those other big books are, are more... I and mean, there's people within them uh, in personalities, and, but they're, they're big kind of sweeping overviews. And then all of a sudden you're just, you're, you're, you're reading about this family and you're what, what in the world is going on here? But then you get to Matthew and you see that Ruth has, has married Obed and they're, they're part of that, the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew, you also see that a lot of the kings of Judah that you've just been reading about in Kings and Chronicles are part of the genealogy of Jesus. They are the Kings of Judah and they're, they're part of that, that line. And so, and, and you see other stories of, of Judah where Judah, uh, just like an awful story of how, how that child came about Judah in, in, uh, what he thought was a prostitute, but was not. And, uh, that's part of the line. So you're seeing uh, in, in like, how, why was that in the Bible? And then, and then you get to this genealogy and it just ties like all these pieces together. And it goes into that hyperlinked idea that I, I said at the beginning, that's, that's so powerful that that's so much of this ties together. Uh, so those, those are my 10, 10 things, uh, that, that really stuck out to me. I mean, there, there are plenty more, but those are, are really the 10, the 10 biggies. Now, uh, uh, the final part of this segment too, I want to just discuss a few of the comments I received and, and questions while I was reading reading the Bible. And, and so what I like to do is, is on uh, Instagram, I post every morning just what I'm reading and uh, maybe something I learned, the page I'm on, that sort of thing. It's a way to keep me accountable uh, in, in the sense of, I know this needs to be a daily habit for me to get through through my books, so I just kind of post where where I'm at, and and while doing that in, in reading through the Bible, I, I would just get a lot of a lot of comments. Uh, one of the one of the main ones was uh, you need to read the Quran as well, and uh, I, I do plan to do that. Um, it's funny, a, a friend of mine told me that if I'm reading the Bible, I, I should also read the the Quran and, and then talk about it on the on the podcast. So I may do that in a, in a future year, whether it's next year or or the year after. Uh, but uh, multiple people. Uh, requested that that I do that. Um, I got a lot of people saying I want to do that. I want to read through the Bible. I've never done that before, um, and and so that that was interesting just to see how many people uh, were were saying that they also wanted to do it. Uh, a lot of people asked me what version I read, so I covered that earlier. And then in the show notes, I will also have more information on that and the, and the reasons why I did it. Uh, <laughs> I posted on on Twitter one day. Uh, of where I was reading, uh, in, in the fact that, that I was reading through the Bible straight through. And uh, this one guy responded with the greatest piece of fiction ever written. And I just didn't even, I didn't even know what to, to do with that. Uh, because it's, it's 66 different books. Like some of it is history. Some of it's kind of embellished history. Some of it is poetry. Uh, some of it is, like writing about the 
end times. Some of it like gets wild in, in its apocryphal writing. Uh, some of it's erotic, like the greatest piece of fiction ever written. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could make that statement about a, 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 an entire book like that, that, that's so varied. And so that, that I, I just, that was towards the beginning of when I was reading it. And I just, I kept thinking back to that because like, that is such an odd thing to say, but uh, that was one of the comments. And the last thing was uh, a question of, did it impact your faith? And yes, it did. And maybe not in ways that I would thought, uh, that I would have thought going into it. Uh, I, I think one of the, the, the big things was like my number two there that, that stuck out to me of, of the afterlife. I went into to, to reading this, I guess, more certain of, of uh, what happens uh, when you die, but I'm a little more confused now and I'm going to have to work through that and, and read about it and, and study it more. Um, so I, that would, I, that would be the biggest thing I, I came away with is just maybe things that are assumed in modern Christian faith, uh, just that, that aren't even really questioned anymore. Uh, when you read through the Bible, just straight through, it, it may cause you to, to question some of those things. Um, and, and so that, that's probably the biggest thing that it did in, in terms of, of faith is just made me want to dig deeper and, and go into some of those questions that I asked in the margins and whether that, that means I, I, I need to ask somebody those questions or just dig in deeper into the Bible or, or do my own research, uh, read more books about, about, um, particular parts that I have questions on. Uh, but I, I, I want to dig deeper and, and yeah, just uh, overall the, the tying of everything together in reading it straight through that, that was another huge impact, uh, from, from this, this reading. to share something a little embarrassing here. I had a college course on Old Testament literature, and I started off one of my papers, this was August 4th, 2000, with this, the Bible reads like a pretty normal piece of literature, end quote. To that, my professor wrote, wow, I think a statement like this needs defending. The fact it deals with so many supernatural events makes it a little more than normal. I think that you're trying to argue from what follows is that the Bible has an incredible family likeness given the variety of its writers. I, yeah, that, that was more of what I was going for. I, w- I was super embarrassed about that sentence for a while, but it, that was more of what I, I was thinking. And it was more of the approach. Uh, there's, you can, you can view the Bible as, untouchable, uh, of, of so holy that you're, you're not going to understand it. Only monks or people who study it their whole lives are going to understand it. And so, you, you know, just kind of pick, pick and choose what you're reading, uh, pick pieces out that, that speak to you, that, that make you feel good. Um, but, to, but you don't need to read it the whole thing through, but just, just kind of pick and pick at it instead of what if you just actually read it like a book? What if you just read it from start to finish? And that, that's really why I wanted to, to do that, do it this way. And, and so that's what I was getting at more in, in that, that horribly written sentence of the Bible reads like a pretty normal piece of literature. It was more that the Bible reads as a narrative and it's hard to see that unless you read it straight through 66 books written across hundreds of years, but there's all the way through it. There's a narrative arc. And there are a ton of there are a ton of different themes or threads that you can pull through the entire thing. And so what I thought I'd do as part of the segment three in the one thing is to pull just one of those threads and pull it through the whole Bible and and to tie in that idea of, of these hyperlinks of things things uh, being hyperlinked, but then an idea showing up and then, it, it kind of being developed and, and understood deeper and at different levels throughout the Bible. And so the one I'm going to choose here, and that is my one thing, is the curse. Now, the curse shows up on, book, on page four of the Bible. It shows up in a number of places 
within the, the body of the Bible, and then it shows up again on the very last page of the Bible. So this is good, uh, a good of a theme or a thread as any to cover because it's, it's in the beginning, it's at the end, and it's all the way through. But it, it brings forth that idea of that there is a narrative here and a narrative that follows a lot of, the, of, the, of what your favorite movies and stories may contain. There is, there is this idea that things start out good and then something goes horribly wrong. There's this horrible tra- tragedy. Something must be done to make amends for that tragedy. And then there is a restoration. Almost every movie or book is going to, going to follow some sort of a, a, a path along, along that. So let, let's take the idea of the curse and, and run it through the Bible here as, as, as within this narrative idea. So the first page we see the curse is on page four. So that, that's in Genesis, uh, we've just seen in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then uh, everything is created. Human, humankind is created. Uh, Adam and Eve are created. And God tells them they can eat from any tree in this garden, but they cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there's a serpent in the garden, and it says the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Adam and Eve eat from it. And then uh, the Lord God appears and says, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. And then it goes on to say what the curse entails. You will move on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Uh, There's more ramifications to that curse. Uh, And then it goes into the next thing that is cursed. And it says the ground is cursed because of you. So uh, now he's talking to, he said to the man, so he's talking to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Uh, before that, he's talking to the woman. He's, he says, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Uh, so we see right away that Adam and Eve are are cursed. Oh, hold up. Hold up. That's what I always thought. I always thought Adam and Eve were cursed, right? They, they, had, eaten from the, they had eaten the apple from the tree, so they were cursed. But that's not what it says. And that's why... The curse stuck out to me so much in in this reading, and then I, I just started kind of underlining it wherever I found it because I had a, a, a huge misconception conception there. So what does it mean? So if Adam and Eve are not cursed, but the the serpent is cursed, and we find out later that the serpent is is Satan, the devil, uh, but then the ground is cursed. Well, what what does that mean? And the best way I've heard it described is that they're coming from the Garden of Eden. Uh, there's abundance. There's this idea of, of plentiful fruit, plentiful flu- food, uh, lush. The, the man and woman, they, they, they have each other. Uh, at first, it's just Adam, and he's lonely. He's got the animals, but, he, but he's lonely. And so now it's a, a, a man and woman, and it's, it's paradise. And something goes horribly wrong. But they are not cursed. The ground is cursed. So the, the, the idea of the ground being cursed is now there's no longer this abundance of the garden. You're now going to scarcity. So he says to Adam, you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. There's, there's scarcity. Uh, scarcity leads to wars. It leads to having to do work and jobs and things that you just don't really want to do. And the other part of the, the, the woman's, um, what, what God says to the woman, it, the Lord God says is, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. So there's, there's this idea of, of, uh, of things getting out of whack, of, of scarcity and, and problems and tragedy and something going horribly wrong. And then also this idea of the ground being cursed, that humankind is cut off from the blessings of God. The next, thing, the next time we see the curse come up is, is after uh, Noah's Ark. Uh, God, the, there's this, the bow in the sky and God says, uh, or actually before the bow, I think, uh, God says, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings. So interesting. I will not curse the ground again. Very next page, Canaan 
is cursed as a result of his father's sin. So the father is Ham. Ham is one of the sons of Noah. Uh, and, and you can read about what, what happens there, but Canaan is cursed, but it's as a result of his father's sin. And I don't know why the son was was cursed because of that, but again, the curse comes up. Then in Deuteronomy, it says, anyone who put, who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. There's another part of Deuteronomy that says, anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Jump forward to Isaiah. This is all uh, all part of the Old Testament, and, and Isaiah is a, is a prophet. And there, there's this kind of, towards the end of Isaiah, there's this sneak peek of, of the coming restoration, of, of this coming, everything being restored and, and, and renewed. And it, it talks about where the lamb will lay down with the lion. So you've you got these two, the lion and the lamb, which are usually the lions killing the lamb, but now they're just laying down next to each other. So that this idea of peace and restoration. But even in this part, with all that going on, it says that the serpent will still eat dust. So as a, as a result of that curse, the serpent still has the ramifications for the result of that curse, which is eating dust. And, and that goes back to page four. Anyone want to guess what the final word of the Old Testament is? Curse. Uh, at least the translation I had. I looked at other t- translations too, so I, I don't know if in the original Hebrew the final word is, is curse, but a lot of the different English trans- translations I saw, uh, the final word was curse. So again, just kind of brought it, brought it to my attention again. Uh, here's the final word of this of, of the section that closes out 80% of the Bible, and it is, it is curse. 1 Corinthians, uh, now we're in the New Testament. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Uh, another part, if someone preaching a different gospel, a curse be on him. So just, I don't, I don't know what all these things mean, but, but um, this, the curse, this idea, it, it follows through. So what does it mean? What are the words being used for curse? What, uh, what are the contexts? Can a person curse another person? Or does a curse always come from, from God? Uh, I mean, we see people cursing other people. So what, what are the ramifications? What does that mean? These are the questions I'm writing in the margin. These are the things that I, st- I still don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm writing and I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to figure out as I'm coming across this one idea that, that threads throughout the Bible. Then we get to Galatians and it says, Christ, uh, so Jesus, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then it's Galatians, which is written by Paul, St. Paul, uh, also refers to, it, it, he also mentions that verse of, uh, uh, cursed is anyone who's, who is hung on a tree, and, and Jesus on the cross, th- th- that was a tree. So Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, let's jump to the final page of the Bible. I, I'm thinking the whole is, is curse going to come back? Like how does how does the how does the curse uh, how does it end up here? And seriously, the last page of the Bible. I'm going to read uh, just the section that leads up to it. Then he showed me the river of of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river. Uh, Taking myself out of the quote here for a second, the tree of life, we see that in the Garden of Eden. So we're on page 1816, or actually that that part's on uh, 1815, but it's referring to something that we saw on page three and four in the Bible. And... Now we see it again, the tree, of, the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for he- the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. There will no longer be any curse. This section, this is in the book of Revelation, it's talking about this restoration. There will no longer be any curse. A few pages before that, the, the devil, it says, the devil who deceived them. So a, a reference to the serpent that, that deceived. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. In, in other parts of Revelation, it, it calls it the ancient serpent. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. So you've got this restoration. You've got the thing that went horribly wrong being, being taken care of. The curse is, is gone. So isn't that, isn't that amazing? I mean, you see the, the curse on page four, and then you see the, the final result. You see the final taking care of, the curse being taken care of on the final page 
of the Bible. And that is just one of the things that you could do, one of the ideas or threads that you could pull through the entire Bible. And so it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And, and, and something I, I, I don't think I would have ever seen had I not just read it from, from start to finish. Again, we get into the idea of repetition as well. So with the curse being uh, resulting from Adam and Eve uh, in, in eating the apple, but the curse was put upon the serpent and the, the ground. But the narrative repeats itself. So it's not just Adam and Eve who did do the disobeying. It's, it's Israel. L- later on, we see God's chosen people are, are Israel, the people of Israel. And within one generation, one generation will be following God. And then the very next generation will disobey. We see it happen with the disciples. We see it happen in the churches that Paul has started. It's, it's a temptation for everybody. I'm, I'm sure you see it on a daily basis, uh, that choice. You, you have like a daily choice of one way or the other, the tree of life or the tree of of knowledge and evil, uh, doing something you know that is is not the right way or towards the tree of life of, of abundance. So uh, it's it's interesting to, to just see those different threads, to see those things repeat itself. It not just be Adam and Eve who disobey, but people disobeying throughout the entire Bible in all sorts of different circumstances. So to recap, this this was an experience. Reading through the Bible from start to finish was experience. I may, I've thought about possibly doing it every year or maybe every other year, just starting the year off reading through it. I, I know it's going to take me roughly two months. Uh, and I, I've even thought about, um, sending out a handwritten letter to, to just a few people each year and, and asking if they would do it with me and kind of like uh, thinking back to, to elementary school when you send a letter, uh, you know, will you, will you go out with me? Yes. And it's like a box for yes or no. And so I, I'm thinking of just sending a letter to a few people each year and, and, and they will be the only people that know that they received it. But I will ask them, will you read through the Bible from start to finish with me? Yes or no. And, and, and return it. And I hope some people do that with me. And then we, we can talk about it as, as we're reading it. But it, 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 it was so good. Uh, it helped me view it as more of this grand narrative than just a, a reference book of good quotes and, and helpful tips or, or verses. Uh, it's, it's more of a story. It, it, and then when it's a story, it, it, it takes in more, it takes more of your, your brain and your, and your, and your ideas, because we think in stories, we, we relate to stories. And so viewing it that way as the narrative is, is, is awesome. Uh, I also encourage you to listen to the episode I did on Proverbs. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, that that was interesting too because I just took one, not saying that that I did it and it was interesting, but just that it was interesting because I took one book out of the Bible and, and kind of went more in depth on that. So uh, take just takes one book and, and how I, I had that same approach to reading it and just reading it straight through and, and even how within doing that in one book, uh, the, the ramifications for that. Please also check the show notes. I'm going to put some links to things that I suggest that you have at your disposal if you do read the Bible. So I'll, I'll put the map app that I used. I'll put some of the charts that were really helpful to me. So even seeing uh, for the New Testament, like uh, when Paul wrote the different books, um, seeing his his different journeys through Greece and, and eventually to Rome, uh, coming back to Jerusalem, like all, all, all sorts of, that was really interesting and helped me understand while I was reading the different books and then uh, also the time frame of them. Um, I'll link to that hyperlink article that, that shows the, the 60,000 plus uh, hyperlinks. And it's actually a neat uh, visual of that if, if you want to check that out. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for for sticking along this this far. It's uh, a little longer than than most other episodes. Uh, thank you for listening. I, I, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at booksoftitans.com to let me know what you thought of this episode or, or other ones. 
You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And I, I just have a ton of different resources on the website to the Books of Titans website to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. Uh, my two goals for this entire project are to read more books and to remember what I read. It's it's not going to benefit me or you at all if we just fly through books and don't remember a thing. But um, I want to read more books. I'm curious. I, I love reading, but I also really want to remember what I read. So I've got a lot of tools to, to help you do those two things. I'll be back. Uh, I might be back next week with uh, kind of a question and answer episode on the Bible, uh, but I, I for sure will be back in, in two weeks um, covering some of the, the other books I'm reading now. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.